read today. So Titus chapter 3, verse 5, this is God's word. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that's our scripture reading. The key words of this paragraph, this unique study, this narrow study of just these two verses, these words, the the key words are three words. He saved us. It's the first three words. It's part of why I wanted to start with verse 5 and just get that right in front of you. He saved us. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, remember these three words, he saved us, and he refers to God. God saved us. The key words. Our salvation, you would admit and agree with me, is the most important and precious thing about us to which nothing else can begin to compare. If, if you have belongings, if you have funds, nothing compares to the gift of our salvation. And it's by the mercy of God that Christ saved us. We, we've made no contribution to God's work of saving us. We, we showed no potential that God would then look down and respond to the potential that we had. We were dead in sins, just as dead as anyone else. The fresh start, as the title of this sermon is, is not an emphasis on the new program at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. That's a great name they have, but I didn't choose that title or this message because of that. And it's also not, as the New Age teachings would say, a fresh start. Uh, Look into yourself, and all the answers are within you. As the New Age would say, definitely not. This is a gospel-based, grace-based church and religion. We cannot improve ourselves. Shout it out to the culture. We cannot improve ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing in you that you can turn to to make everything better. The answer is not within ourselves. The answer is not trying harder or deciding to make that change. That's not the answer. The truth is, back to my three words, he saved us. God our Savior is, as you look back at verse 4, is the uh, subject of that sentence. God our Savior saved us. We were helpless. We were in need of rescue by another. We needed sheer mercy. Nothing good in us, nothing deserving If anyone ever, anywhere, was or is going to be saved, it needs to be by God's decision, by God's action, by his mercy. He took action. He saved us. So let me back up and give a quick overview of the book that we've parachuted into. The book of Titus is similar to the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. The three books stand together and are similar because Paul is writing in all three of them to two students who were pastors, Pastor Timothy and Pastor Titus. So these three books are known by uh, Christian scholars and Christians as the pastoral letters. It simply means they're from the apostle to pastors. And only five times within all three of these books, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, only five times in these books does Paul emphasize something specifically and especially emphasize something. He saved us is one of those statements, one of the five statements that Paul emphasized. 
How does he emphasize it? But by, if you read down further into verse 8, he then says this statement, the statement that he had made, this statement is a trustworthy saying. The saying is trustworthy. That's how he emphasizes. He didn't have highlighters or underlining. He does words to tell us where things are highlighted or emphasized. This statement, God saved us, is one of the five statements that were well-known by ancient Christians, well-known by pastors in that day, and they're down to today, well-known by Christian pastors, well-known by Christian students of God's word. These five statements have Paul's full apostolic endorsement. It's a trustworthy saying. It's worth emphasizing. It's worth remembering. It's worth drilling into your head and heart and mind and keeping it there. This is one of the five. We'll just focus on this one. It's three-word sermon. He saved us. And in this context, Titus 3, verses 4 through 8, we have the last of the five statements that Paul emphasized. So we study this statement today. The truth calls for us to celebrate God's rescuing work in our lives. So the main point of the sermon is this. Is if you're looking at your handout, it's in bold across the top. Because Christ mercifully washed us, we get a fresh start. You get a fresh start. The basis of our washing, the method of our washing, the source of our washing. First, the basis. Again, verse 5. God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's very much opposed to works righteousness, opposed to a works-based religion. You've got to do these things. You've got to avoid doing these things and do these things. And if you get that straight, you'll be all right. That's works-based religion. It's, it's, a, it's repulsive to us. It really is repulsive to us. Look how he starts. God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Paul's emphasizing that before he says what it is. He says what it's not. It's not works. So here we get an important theological question. Who decides if a life is righteous enough to appear before God? Who decides? Because if you ask the average person, your neighbor, your coworker, somebody that you meet when you're traveling, if you ask them that theological question, who decides if you're good enough to appear before God? They'll say, well, I am. I'll tell you. I mean, I've never killed anybody. I didn't really do anything flamboyantly wrong. I've never robbed a bank. I mean, that's their figuring. People love to figure about religion when we have a whole book written to us of exactly how God relates to us, relates to sinners. And the answer is God decides. God decides who is righteous enough to appear before God. That's a fundamental basic principle to get first. It's my first point, the basis of our washing. You've got to start by the basis of our washing by saying, you're dirty. No, you really are dirty. If you say you're clean, it doesn't make you clean. You're dirty. So that's why we get the question, who decides who's dirty? Who decides who's righteous enough? Who decides who's cleansed enough? Who's the arbiter? Who's the judge? Who's the determiner? I want to illustrate this point. I'm going to take a little time because it's enjoyable, but because it's important. It reveals a little bit about myself and about my mother, who I think is watching. (laughs) Hi, Mom. (laughs) When I was a boy, very young boy, our family lived in an old rural Wisconsin farmhouse in Sheboygan County, and we had one bathtub for six people in our family, mom, dad, four of us kids. 
but no shower. Later, my dad rigged something up, but that's a whole other story. No shower when I was a boy. So let's say it's summertime, you're completely dusty and dirty from riding your bike on gravel driveways and playing baseball in dirt, and you wanted a shower, your only choice was to go back outside, hand the garden hose to your brother, who's ever so glad to help you, and spray you down. That's the only shower you're going to get in my house growing up. So you got the picture. So no shower in the house. So we would take baths. And I'm revealing my age a little bit by telling you that I come from a generation of boys whose moms would literally say the classic phrase, make sure to wash behind your ears. She literally said that to us repeatedly, so much so that here it is about 50 years later, and I'm remembering it enough to say it to you. And looking back, I have to admit, I still don't know how so much sneaky and evasive dirt could get behind a boy's ears. I recognize how big my ears are. Went through elementary school and junior high with the same ears, so I heard all about how big my ears are, but I still don't get how that much dirt could be so sneaky as to hide behind my ears so that it would avoid all the splashing of water, all the soap that I placed there, and using the well-worn washcloth to try to remove it so that I could be dismissed from the bathtub. And so that I would constantly be given this frequent reminder by mom, wash behind your ears, make sure to wash behind your ears. Oh, the frequency of that statement. And it wasn't until years later, looking back, that I realized what mom was actually saying to us. She was actually establishing very clearly for us who it is and who it is alone that can determine whether a boy is clean enough to get out of the bathtub. Not himself. The determiner of cleanliness is not the boy. Though he could make quite a case about how much soap has been applied. Though he could show the worn-out washcloth with fresh rips in it for scrubbing that hard. The boy would make a case for having scrubbed even his whole face still looking like charcoal, but behind the ears is squeaky clean. It's still the mom, the household cleanliness czar, who determines acceptable cleanliness. Thou shalt not exit the tub yet, young boy. The same is true in Ephesians, uh, Titus 3, verse 5. What Paul is actually establishing clearly for Christians is who it is who alone determines whether a man or woman is clean enough to be in God's household and appear before him. It's not the man or woman. And it's not how clean your recent record is per you, just ask you. It is God our Savior and he alone who determines that. The dirt-caked boy does not know how dirty he is. He needs his mother to inspect his soap and water bathing. More than that, the boy needs to reach the point of saying this, Mom, could you just please wash the dirt off me so I can get out of this tub already? Oh, what a transformation. The man or woman doesn't realize how dirty they are, and they need to reach that point where they turn to God the Father and say, Would you just wash the dirt off of me? I can't seem to get it off. Oh, what a transformation. And did you notice what happened? 
The boy's asking his mother to search him and find the remaining dirt and spots and please wash them away. Did you notice what happened? The sin-caked person who does not know the sturdiness of their dirt, having his or her own efforts pass the evaluation and registration process, needs the Savior to search him despite his efforts at spiritual bathing. More than that, the sinful one needs to reach the point of asking the Savior, asking the Savior. Not reluctantly saying, well, I suppose if that's the way it works, but asking, pleading, joyfully saying, would you please wash my wrongs away? Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what Paul's saying here. Verse 5, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The sinful person needs time after time to have this message repeated from God our Savior. As our closing hymn will say, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all by prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. The basis of our washing is built on God being the determiner of our, dil- our dirt and God being the one who washes. So then the method of our washing, our second point, also from verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now many people would like a fresh start. Let me just quiz you. You like how your life has gone this far? You're completely happy with everything as it's rolled out. Nobody here wants a fresh start? How about this year? Let's just take 2023. Would you like a fresh start on that one? How about today? Just just today. Has today gone according to your plan? A fresh start is appealing to us, see? A fresh start. If I could have a do-over on this. What have you experienced? What have you done? What have I done? What did we do? (laughs) Look at the mess we made. The Bible says that in your life, in this year, and in this day, you made a mess. You got dirt charcoaled on your face and still behind your ears. If only you could go back and begin again. And in a way that is more real than the yearbook of high school is real, in a way that is very real, God gives us a way to go back and begin again. We can start over. It's not a false hope. It's not a false promise. And it's not just something that people in churches say to make themselves feel better. God, through his apostle Paul, is speaking here to Christians, training a Christian pastor named Titus to minister to people in real time, in a real place, on the island called Crete, and those people sinned in real ways, such as the church leaders back in chapter 1, if you want to read that this afternoon. They sinned in real ways in chapter 2, such as the older men and older women, younger men and younger women as employees and supervisors in the workplace. 
In real time, these things have happened already, and then they have set in motion a chain of events that continues to be active to the very moment of the next sermon of Titus, Pastor Titus to them, in which he will explain how the grace works from places such as this passage. How is Titus supposed to tell them that they can start over when they're one-fourth of the way through their marriage life, when they're halfway through their lives itself, when they're three-quarters of the way through their careers? How is Pastor Titus supposed to turn to the believers that he's responsible for, that he's a pastor of on the island of Crete, and say to them, you can start over today? Is that not some sort of trick or false hope or false promise? No. There's such reality here because the fresh start washing is not in their performance. The fresh start method is not in turning back the clock and going to undo negative consequences of our messes. If we could just go back far enough in time, I wouldn't have jumped in that puddle. I wouldn't have ridden that bike in that dirt. It's not about that. The washing in a fresh start with God is today, right here, right now. That the mercy of God has the power of the creator and redeemer behind it. The fresh start is from God. Think about this with me. A, A moment of theological reflection. The same God who had a clay man, a dirt man, let's call him Adam, There it is, a full finished product, the clay, dirt man. But there's no life in him until God breathes life into the clay, dirt man and has him come alive. And he also has a soul. That's the God who we're talking about. And you're wondering about your year, your life, how things are going halfway through your career and your retirement. We're talking about the God who is we're asking him to take away stubborn dirt off of us when he took dirt and turned it into a man. Certainly he can do this fresh start thing. It's not a false promise. Wherein does the fresh start lie? If it's not turning back the clock, then what is the method? Our second point is the method of our washing. What's the method of our washing? Verse 5 tells us, it's by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we can read these words, but what does it mean for my mess? It's the language of new beginning, twice over, regeneration, renewal. It's a ceremonial washing, much as baptism symbolizes, but the regeneration is literally born again. How's that for starting over? Not just going back to high school and starting your career again, going all the way back to the birth of your life. How's that for starting over? Born again. The word renewal is literally the word for makeover, both born again and a makeover. When God uses words like born again, makeover, regeneration, renewal, he's giving us a real valid reason to hope that we can be accepted into God's family today and enjoy a close walk with God himself today despite all the stuff I did wrong throughout my whole life. God would have this closeness with me. Oh, I want some of that. If that's what you're offering, Titus, if that's what you're offering, Paul, if that's what you're offering, Lord Jesus, could I please have that washing and draw close to you in the middle of my mess? It's a makeover. God takes the mess maker and he washes the mess off the mess maker and he washes the mess out of the mess maker 
so that we're no longer mess makers. We're children of God, primarily, and a little bit of mess maker still hanging around. By God's own mercy, the mysterious and powerful work of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who hovered over a formless and void creation, now that same Spirit hovers over our mess and makes children of God out of us. He turns our circumstances into blessings. How? Not by changing the circumstances. That's not the fresh start. That's maybe what you're hoping for from the title of the sermon, a fresh start. Could you change my circumstances? No, it's better than that. It's more powerful than that. Right within the very same circumstances, the same spouse, the same family, the same workplace, the same coworkers, the same neighbors, the same extended family, right there in the same mess, this God can give you a start over from within you a do-over, a makeover, a renewal by changing you, by giving the new birth from above to you. But Lord, I'm still in the mess. Yes, but once we're washed, you don't see it as a mess anymore. You see it as a blessed life, the place in which you can serve God and give away his grace to others. What was formerly making us angry now makes us filled with hope, overflowing. What's formerly making us tempted now makes us determined to live for God, right then and there. What circumstances used to be making us far from God are pushing us towards him. It's not an exaggeration. It's not the opiate of the peoples. This is reality. There's nothing superficial about the activity of the Holy Spirit. I'll just remind you again. These are the opening words of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the work of the Spirit to make us born again and give us a makeover is not a superficial or trivial matter that people say, you know, people who go to church a lot and some people write hymns about it and we all sing it and we say say that we feel better. No, 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 no. It's the earth-pounding, deep, profound reality that is more true about us than the temporary messy circumstances are. We are children of God. We belong to the heavens in the citizenship of heaven. That God the Holy Spirit specializes in taking what is formless and void and messy and turning it into lush terrestrial balls, teeming with life and fruitfulness. He takes lives like ours and turns them into fruitfulness. He specializes, the Holy Spirit specializes in taking messes you make and turning them into ponds teeming with fish, gardens yielding so much produce, you can't harvest it all. That God the Holy Spirit is capable of making you sing in the middle of your mess. Not a single thing about it has changed, except for you. That's what God is capable of doing. That's why you're here to worship him. That God the Holy Spirit is capable of putting you in the middle of a desert and having your heart overflow with praise. How do we know? Look at Paul, our author. He was put in prison. All he could think to do in prison was grumble all night. That's what I would probably do. What he did all night was sing praises to God all night long. His duet partner, Silas. They were singing. Who does that? Someone who's been remade, a makeover by God. Tell the people of Crete, Titus, 
Paul is saying to Titus to tell the people in Crete, tell the people in Crete, we've been wrong since Adam, but Christ is here. The second Adam, the last Adam is here and he's turning all this into rightness and goodness. Just you watch and see. That's the method of our washing. And third, the source of our washing. Since it's all true, we want some. Where do we get it? Verse 6. We see the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Christ died and rose again to give us spiritual washing. He takes, it takes place through Christ then giving us the Holy Spirit. Let me read from Acts 2 some of the events. Acts 2, 17. In the last days that shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. At what price? Acts 2, 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then jump to verse 32 of Acts 2. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. On the day of Pentecost, it was explained to them that God was now giving what he had promised all along to give closeness to him like the whole Old Testament longed for and we have. Closeness of having the Holy Spirit on board, within, that we walk with Christ in that close way. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. And then what will happen? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit that we're talking about. That gives us this makeover. The Spirit of Christ is the source of our spiritual washing. Now, before I close, I'm wrapping up now. What I want to do is give you a grotesque analogy. Because all I've said so far is the cute little boy, dirty up to his ears in a bathtub in ancient Wisconsin, right? And you're thinking, okay, the spiritual analogy is we're really dirty, we should get washed up. It's a whole lot more dangerous than that. So I don't want to leave you with just, you need to be cleaned with a, a stronger detergent. I need to put out before you the danger and the severity of the mass of our sinful nature. It's not just innocent dirt. It's truly danger. It leads to death. We need a Savior to rescue us. He saved us. He rescued us from a dire condition. So here goes. Ready? I've warned you. The ancient Romans would sometimes compel a captive to be joined face-to-face, wrist-to-wrist, waist-to-waist, ankle-to-ankle, tied to a dead corpse. And just unroll in your mind what happens over the coming minutes, the coming hours, the coming days. That's a better picture of what we need saving from than just being dirty behind the ears. So I need to leave you with this. The horrible effluvia, the noxious fumes would destroy the life of the living one of that partnership. An ancient writer named Virgil described a cruel punishment this way, the living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench and loathed embraces tied, the lingering wretches pined away and died. Why am I telling you that story? That was the condition we found ourselves in. Without Christ, we're shackled to ourselves. Our own sinful nature is a dead corpse. Our own sinfulness will take us down. 
Only Christ can free us from our sin nature, can free us from certain death, for life and death cannot coexist together indefinitely. He's made us alive. And so we are with him. We are decoupled from our sin nature. The Spirit performs the action of giving us a fresh start. He makes us new. He gives us that makeover. It's an all-pervasive moral transformation changing the whole person in heart, disposition, inclination, motive, interest, ambition, and purpose. The whole of our nature is affected and changed permanently. We are children of God, citizens of heaven. What have we seen that Christ mercifully washed us so we get a free start, the basis of our washing, the method of our washing, the source of our washing? I want to close with this. At the foot washing, in John 13, the foot washing, Peter demonstrated how stubborn is our sense of hanging on to the old, uh, taking a pass on the fresh start that Christ offers. Peter turns to Jesus as if you or me were turning to Jesus and saying the same thing. Peter's just representing you. He's turning to Jesus and saying, you know this fresh start you're offering? Nah, no thanks, I'm all right, thanks, yeah. Peter says to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Patient Lord Jesus answers Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter finally understood. And he said, in still typical fashion for Peter, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash me all over, Jesus. Jesus did. He washed our souls. We get a fresh start. We can now pray with the psalmist, wash me and I will be whiter than snow.